Yes, sir. And welcome to the road to Damascus, where it's not about the road, it's about the journey. I'm your host, Brock Hendricks, and I want to thank you for listening to another episode of Road to Damascus. And before I introduce the people that help me navigate this ship, I just want to tell you how you can participate with the show. First and foremost, you can email us at Road to Damascus. That's Road the number two, Damascus at iCloud.com. As well as you can come and reach us on our social media platforms. That's Road to Damascus at Instagram, as well as Road to Damascus on Twitter. So shoot us show ideas, give us feedback. We'd love to hear from you. And now let's introduce the people that help stir the pot. In front of me, first and foremost, I want to say what's up to the rabbi. Hey, rabbi, how are you Hello. doing today? How are you doing today? I am well. What's up, everybody? Having a little issue with these buttons right here. Apologize for that. And the man that's always to my left. I just want to say what's up to you. What's up, Big Steph? How you doing today? How you doing today? It's funny, uh, we about to record this episode. We probably been talking about an hour and a half. We should have just recorded what we were talking about before we uh, even uh, recorded the podcast. We were sitting here freestyling. I said one day we're going to have to do a free, uh, just cut the mics on and just record us just sitting here debating and talking and just call it the the whatever show Thanks. but so we gonna have to do that one day uh lauren isn't with us again today but she's uh in our prayers and we hopefully she'll be back soon and uh recording the podcast with us and giving us her feedback and input so today's topic um and this kind of is right up in shonda's wheelhouse you know her being an author an elder here we prophet go. uh she is also a mental health professional that does counseling. And we're actually going to talk about mental health today. Um, so we're going how we're going to dive into this is for the long, for the longest time, mental health was seen as a worldly issue and not a church issue. And for a long time, the church rejected any um, calls for people to see mental health professionals, counseling, um, or even accepting diagnosis of any sort that came from the world. Um, I would say maybe in the last five to 10 years, that's begun to change a little bit in the positive direction. Um, and even where you start to see people um, going to counseling or accepting that there are uh, chemical imbalances that, can cause us to um, possibly see health professional, mental health professionals or be on medication. So Shonda, with you, uh, we'll start with you being the expert or <laughs> don't make that face. You're an expert. No, but um, you went to, went to, to school for it, right? Correct. I did. So what has been your journey and your process of seeing how we've dealt with this mental health um, and slash counseling issue within the church. We haven't dealt with it. Um, we've, I think we've taken the stance now, you know, for all the church people, listen, don't throw your tomatoes at me. But I think we've had this attitude of let's just pray about it for so long that we've turned people off from therapy or from talking about their issues and from really getting help. And, anxiety, 
um, depression, bipolarism runs rampant in our churches. And um, many people in positions of authority, like pastors and, um, and elders, are not equipped to deal with that. Or because, qualified. Right, because they themselves are dealing with some of the same issue and not receiving therapy about it. All right. So what what do you think about it, Steph? <laughs> you know what? When it comes to the health, the mental health stuff, I'm still kind of a... Um, I'm going to defer to y'all better judgment on this one, to be perfectly honest. Okay. Um, I can make my assessments, but like I said, Sean is like the professional. Well, well, no, but I mean, so you, you've gone to counseling before. I have. Um, was, was this a Christian counselor or was it just a, um, cause I've been to both. Okay. I've been to a, I remember, uh, um, it was a school counselor back in my college. The first time she had a session with me, I guess it was like, um, what is it? Bereavement counseling. Okay. Um, and then, um, I went to a pastor for counseling also. Okay. All right. Oh, no, no, no. And I also went to another. I was a uh, recently, kinda, right? Recently. Yeah, he wasn't he wasn't anything, you know, um so so pressure related. So with you being more of the person who's been in counseling and you could share this or not, but the counseled counseled <laughs> what what um why did you feel as though you needed to go to counseling this more recent time, not the bereavement counseling, um, but this, I, I this had time. some things that I wanted to get perspectives on. I feel like counselors are great at giving perspectives. Um, they don't change situations. They just help you to see a different outcome of a situation or a different um, outlook on a situation. So, and that's exactly what he actually did for me. I think one of the things was we talked about was like work. And he's like, what is your end goal? And he, he, he posed that question. And I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, well, what if you're making enough right now that hits your goal? Why are you working so hard? Like, why are you missing out on life and certain things like that? And it was, you know, a pretty valid question, and I didn't have an answer for him at the time. So he wanted me to do some homework to really think about uh, what my end goal was. And um, I think that's still a question that I'm still um, answering, but I've been able to develop some answers for it. Like, okay. Uh being able to cut back on work and like I think I told you kind of taking uh after every win so to speak I do within business I'm going to take a vacation and do different things. Um and then it actually helped me at the time uh when I was in a relationship to uh prioritize certain things for that individual uh within work. So he he actually helped me um collect some of those perspectives and um you know kind of kind of change my, my thinking um, through what the questions that he posed. Okay. So um, when you were deciding to go to counseling, did you tell anybody, talk to anybody? Yeah, you. <laughs> <laughs> did you talk to anybody that w would give you uh, or be a, a, have objections to you going to counseling? Uh, you know what? Like, yes. like, was family. there some some family? Okay, um, so what was their objections to you going to counseling? There, it was more so like, wait, why? But okay. it was a curious why. 
you know, I've always been able to be a pioneer in certain things. Right. So people ask me, like, wait, why? Gotcha. They want the answer to why that I wanted to go. It's like, well, I made the decision to go. You know, like yeah. the, the um, collective counseling, uh, which it was like relationship counseling, that was a collective decision. This one was an individual decision where I said I wanted to do this so I can, you know, better right. myself. And I think it was one of the things me and you talked about. And you said something. I think my mom had said something about counseling. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to just take the steps just to, you know, go. I wasn't, I've never been a person who was really open to counseling before. Right. So now I can figure out my own perspectives. And so I'm going to come, I'm going to come back to you to, to that later and ask okay. you why not. So okay. remind me if I don't come back to you on that. Okay. So Shonda, um, through me, um, going to counseling and me meeting you and seeing that dynamic of a person who was a Christian, but also did counseling and see how you intertwine the two but how you also were able to say okay let's not let's take god god out of it from you can't take god out of anything but just right. meaning let's just from the secular standpoint mm -hmm. let's use that terminology do you think that there is a opposition to counseling and christianity that has caused people to be opposed to it or do you think that they are more complementary but because we think that you can pray everything away, meaning that there are certain issues. It's just like, we just don't want to accept that. I don't know if I would say there's um, an opposition in, um, in Christianity. They just don't suggest it. And we do have that just pray about it mentality. Um, when, when you sit down with, with a person, you know, when they come to you, when people come to you for counseling, they're not coming to you for a Bible class. You know, so even though I believe in biblical principles, finding a way to incorporate that into what we're talking about without giving you a list of scripture, it takes some skill. You know, it, it takes you being transparent yourself. I'm not so sure that many people um, in our church buildings are ready for that kind of accountability, transparency, and vulnerability. Because in order to help somebody else, you have to expose yourself. <laughs> and I think that's one of the things that keeps people from really um, talking to other people seriously about their real issues. So you, you would say a lack of vulnerability? Absolutely. Okay. Because your job is to get you to talk it out. Okay. To get you to talk it out to get you to get to the truth of what's really bothering you, to get you past shame, fear, and guilt to total honesty because there is no help for you without you being honest. The person who's trying to support you through that has to be totally honest themselves. So the best way to get you to open up is for me to be open. So if you're not ready to do that, then, yeah, just go ahead and pray about it. <laughs> so... I've often said that um, people are born blind, people are born deaf, uh, people are born with extra limbs, some people are born with no limbs. The heart is on the outside of the chest. These are things that people have been born with that we know. So why in turn do we believe people cannot be born with the chemical imbalance? I don't know. Uh, just by sheer fact that there are babies born addicted to drugs. 
you know, or babies born to parents who are addicted to drugs that have chemical imbalances that messes with, you know, uh, their brain's ability to produce certain hormones. And you grow up to be a child with anxiety um, or a child who battles depression. Children who battle anxiety and depression without help grow up to be adults who battle anxiety and depression. Depression comes from the things that have happened already that haven't worked out right. Anxiety comes from trying to figure out what's next, you know, that you can't control. But if you don't know that yourself, how are you going to help the person living in your house or the person going to your church or the person at work with you? Um, I think one of the things that hinders us is the fact that we don't educate ourselves outside of our own realm. So if nobody's emphasize in your house, what it was, so go ahead yeah. kind of dig, dig deeper into that. If it's not in your house, then you feel like, you know, why am I researching this? So why right. am I studying? Nobody this? in my family bipolar that, you know, exactly. But there is, they're undiagnosed. You know? Right. Exactly. So we have to educate ourselves about these things because it's all around you. Even if it's not in your house, it's in our churches. We all work with somebody who we know is just a little bit strange. We work with somebody who's a little bit different. They have really high highs and low lows. And we just say, oh, that's, that's just them. That's not just them. They're dealing with some issues. Or people who are suffering from um, traumatic situations that have happened to them that have altered um, how they experience the world. We have to be aware of those things. You know, what's wrong with educating yourself in something that doesn't affect you? That's how we help somebody else. Absolutely. So let me ask you a question, Steph. Mm-hmm. Um, and Shonda kind of brought it up. Trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, you had the trauma where we both a shared trauma of losing your brother. Mm-hmm. Um, and that affected you for a long time. Mm-hmm. How long would you say that affected you for? I mean, realistically before you it still affects you yeah, it still but affects. i'm just saying how long do you think it affected you be in, until you really started to say i can't let this hinder me from living life maybe about <laughs> like six years seven years okay so within the because it's been 10 years yeah yeah i think within the, like the last you know it was always little small things that i uh right so, so the reason I asked that, because it makes, and you'll see where I'm going with this. So, you, how old were you when you got saved? Twelve. Okay, you were twelve. When Jeremy got killed, how old were you? Twenty. Twenty. So eight years. So you've been saved eight years. Mm-hmm. And now you're. Huh? I'm thirty-one. Thirty-one. You'll be thirty-two. Mm-hmm. So, you went and dealt with. All of this for seven years, it, your your salvation part never went away, mm-hmm. but you had a trauma Definitely. that was affecting your life. Absolutely. So, do you understand how people, even though we're saved, if we have a trauma that we do not address, it can still affect us to this day? Absolutely. So, why do you think it is that we, as, as the church, has rejected? that people need to have those traumas dealt with that might not necessarily come from inside the church. Why do you think that, because you said you went to grief counseling because you needed somebody to help you through that. Mm-hmm. So why do you think that we reject that idea of getting help outside of the building? God will give you peace and well, he'll give you rest. And all right. Uh, and because that's because like, we we're flesh and blood and still have. Yeah. I'm going to use one of Shonda's statements. 
she likes to say, hurt people hurt people. So within this exact same scenario, if you're asking somebody that's battling with something and they haven't been healed from it or they have a trauma that hasn't been resolved, why are they looking to resolve your trauma? Right? Facts. Oh, he he wanted that one. He, he looked at me like, "You gonna hit the button?" Though? No, I said, no, I'm messing you with right. you. Right. No, no. So, no, like, I guess so. That would be that kind of scenario because if you're asking somebody to lead you down a path that they've never been down, it's extremely hard to do so. Extremely hard. So you're asking for somebody who has traumatic experiences. Um, I'll, I'll put it like this. I'm gonna say something that's personal. Um. Within my own life, I didn't know how to deal with women. Okay. Right? I was taught to be a provider. I was taught to be a worker, a go-getter, stuff like that, but not to be um, an emotional being towards women, right? Uh, I could use that excuse, and I can say, oh, well, no, I wasn't taught that. You know, when I would work with my dad, my dad didn't, you know, our dad didn't, um, Tell me, oh, yeah, you got to be emotional. He'd be like, nah, uh-uh. Now, this, he like, nah, you go out and work hard. You want to go home and you want this and this. And, you know, you want to eat and stuff like that. Right. But it was never see what's on her mind. See how her day went. Talk to her. See what you can do for her that day. Because really it should be more like a selfless thing, right? Correct. Wasn't taught that. So uh, that, those were things that. Uh, through that experience I had to learn and I made a lot of mistakes within relationships or within a relationship right. that I didn't understand. Correct. So that me seeking a counselor was one of those things that I'm like, you know what? I don't want to make mistakes that, um, that you were excuses. raised. Yeah. Make excuses for the mistakes that I'm making. Let me talk to somebody to try to get perspective. Cause I'm a person who's like a logical person. Probably overly no. logical. No, I was looking at me like, no. No, I'm like extremely logical, which the people here know this. Right. So it's like I needed some perspective, and that really helped me. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. So same thing your way, Shonda. Why do you think that the church has rejected that trauma part? That, oh, you just going to get in here, and if you were sexually assaulted as a teen or as a child, if your mother was a – abusive alcoholic or your father was an abusive alcoholic or on drugs and and they or you saw your dad beating your mother or you saw your mom raped or you were any of these type of things and God can definitely make you whole again but there are still things that need to be addressed that you need to talk those things out Mm -hmm. and why do you think us as a church has rejected that okay I think, who help me? I think it's it's difficult for places that cause trauma to help you heal trauma. So, oh, who hit that button? I'm sorry. Let me. <laughs> who, what, who, who hit that button? So you're saying that when you are one who helps create trauma. It's hard for you to then, in turn, turn around and help suggest somebody address trauma. Right. Hmm. Yeah. Go a little bit with that. I, you know, th- there's there's this thing that it's like an elephant in the room. It's called church hurt. 
Okay. And we did a podcast about church hurt. Right. Church hurt can cause mental and emotional instability. Okay. It would be difficult to go to your abuser to ask for help, you know, because in order for you to get help in, in the place that hurt you, the place that hurt you would have to apologize, would have to admit some kind of wrongdoing, would have to say that, hey, we've done this wrong and we need to right this wrong. Because if you write that wrong, then maybe that person could be healed just by the acknowledgement of being wrong. So I think we have to we have to start there. We have to first acknowledge that church hurt is a real thing. Okay. And then maybe we can start a healing process that because starts after, there after goes so out. are you saying it's it's going to be hard for me to deal with my secular hurt or addre- or address or acknowledge my secular hurt when the place that I am coming to to deal with my emotional hurt is gaslighting me and making it even worse. Because if I if I'm hurting already and I'm in need of of some help. I'm already emotionally hurting. I can't go to the place that spiritually hurt me or abused me to seek help for this hurt. That's creating a perfect storm for PTSD. So where where am I supposed to go? That's why we need people in our churches who aren't ashamed, who aren't afraid, who have no guilt, who will be willing to be vulnerable and transparent and help the next person. Like your scars are a roadmap for somebody else to get out. If you're afraid and ashamed to show your scars, how are you going to help somebody else? Mental illness is real. We don't deal with it in the black community. We don't address it in, in the black church. Okay, we everything is not a demon. There are people who have some real imbalances, some real issues, and they need some real help. We need to have these kind of systems set up in these hospitals to deal with all types of illnesses, whether it's spiritual, emotional, physically, mentally. We need to have access to that all in one central control tower. So how are you the place when you're not set up to heal people? Wow. I like that. I like that. That was, that was, that was good. And, 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 now the part I I agree with you wholeheartedly because at the end of the day, there are things that I hear all the time, even whether it be bipolar disorder or schizophrenia or um, borderline personality disorder or um, autism. Yes. Um, kids being on the spectrum where it's like, listen, there's nothing wrong. I'm not saying you got to accept it. We're going to pray about it and ask God to heal this person in this area. Right. But at some point, do we have to be like the three Hebrew boys that was getting put in? I believe that God is going to make this change. But if he doesn't. Right. So do you think it comes down? I'll ask you this, step. Do you think it comes down to people being afraid to acknowledge it? Because if they acknowledge it, they have to deal with it. And if they have to deal with it, then it might mean that um, maybe what I've been taught my whole life isn't real. Oh, that's a spirit. That's a demon. You accepting you accepting that because that's the kind of talk we would hear. No, we we ain't claiming that. They they you know you got can't 
the doctor said I have can't. We ain't claiming that. Don't even say it. Well, I don't have to say it. I have it. I believe that God can heal me mm-hmm. or he will heal me. But if he doesn't, it's not going to change my serving him. If my child has bipolar disorder, it's not going to stop me from serving God. Right. Just like if your child is born with, like you see kids that are born with um, issues where different cranial diseases and they're in wheelchairs their whole lives. Does that mean God doesn't love you or, and if he doesn't heal your child, I mean, you understand what I'm saying? Right. So no, I mean, uh, I think it's the first part is getting a revelation that you have an issue and you can't, Oh, they be scared that like everybody at the church be like, um, it's a, is he okay? Yeah, no, no. I mean, it's it's the first part of, of, like I said, getting a revelation and understanding that you do have an issue. Right. It needs to be worked. There was something in me that obviously I knew that counseling before that I was uh, kind of, um, I was more so, I want to say oblivious to maybe uh, arrogant about. Like, no, I don't need no counselor. I think, I think I like that word, arrogant. Yeah, I was more so, I don't need a counselor. Like, I think the, so the the time. You know what they say? (laughs) Counselor. He's a counselor. You know what they say? So one of the counselors, I remember the first time the bereavement counselor was like, yeah, so like you know, after our brother passed, she tried to talk to me. <laughs> she was trying to talk to me and like, yeah. So how do you feel? I'm like, how do you feel? So she tried to be empathetic and bring up a situation like her husband, late husband, passed. And I remember she said something like, yeah. So you know, it's like it's the things that you miss about the person. Um, you know, just a small thing. She said one day I was going outside to cut the grass. And I couldn't start the lawnmower. And she said, I got so upset, I hit the handles. I was like, D.U. John. <laughs> right? So then I looked at her. I was, I said, like, sounds like you need a little more, a couple more sessions. And I'm thinking, like, you know, being prideful. Right. Around that time, me going through what I'm going through. And I'm like, you know, as I look now, I see situations and, and things to where I can look at and say, you know what? In order for me to talk to the counselor, I had to be able to look in within myself and say, "Be vulnerable." I don't be vulnerable. That's right. the number one thing. Absolutely, that's the number one. That's the best term that you use is to be vulnerable. Mm-hmm. You know, and a lot of people don't want to be vulnerable. We weren't taught really to be vulnerable. The black men. people are not allowed in this uh, country. Uh, let's talk. Let's say black men, really, bro. Well, I, I would I would say black people too. General, definitely black men, right? But Black people overall aren't led to be vulnerable. Because Meaning, if women are allowed to be vulnerable with within our within with each other and within our community, not men, but men are not allowed to be vulnerable no. at all. No, right? no, especially like, black men. I think the the closest I had was talking to you. Right. It's like you be like, bro, it's okay to cry. I'm like, bro, you're not gonna make me cry right now. You, really, I felt like you were good at you. You ain't gonna make me cry right now, Roy. He's like, well, I right. have this right here <laughs> for like, guaranteed money. Like, I see you. I said, I'm not gonna cry. <laughs> <laughs> no, so it's like one of those things, but you gotta be able to acknowledge and then kind of move forward. And I'm gonna be honest, once I started going or listening, it, it was kind of it was virtual, so we would be on FaceTime. Um, or he had a room that we would go to within uh it was a like a virtual room and we would meet within that. Um he was a cool guy. And we actually talked and had normal conversations. Right. He would use a lot of relational things and things that he was dealing with and going through, and then he would kind of bring perspective in. So it really helped 
me to gain perspective and then look at some areas. If somebody can tell you something and invoke thought, then it's helping. But but the thing that I think that a lot of people don't understand and which I hope to convey through this uh, episode is, one, a counselor, we know that God can do exceedingly and abundantly above all things. But a counselor, <laughs> don't make, see, Steph is trying to make it. I just, for the audience that's not here, Steph is making a face at me and is going back to the conversation that we had <laughs> pre-show that we literally <laughs> were supposed to record two shows a day, but we literally did one show off mic. Yeah. <laughs> and, and he tried to make this point for me saying that, and I'm not going there with you. We're going to stay on topic. I'm not going. I'm not giving the devil glory, and I'm not giving you I nothing saw, either. I saw get, Shonda get behind face. me, Satan. Hey, Shonda get behind. Like, get ye behind me, Satan. She was like, "Oh Lord, Shonda, get ye behind. Tell him, get ye behind me, Satan, for you speak not with the Lord." Okay, I see what you're trying to do, and you done made me lose my train of thought. You see that? You see? You see that? No, you got the thought out that you were supposed to get out. Yo, whatever. No, so. Like I was saying, the the point that I'm trying to convey is that a counselor will is job even a counselor people and you can speak to this, Shonda. You're not the person that helps them solve the problem. You are giving them to tools to help them to solve the problem. Right. Giving them the tools to be able to to acknowledge the pain, acknowledge the hurt. But we have things that like we're all close here. Yes. And we can talk about anything amongst each other. But there are things sometimes that you, you know, if you come to me, Shonda, I can try to be as objectionable as I want to be. Right. But there's love there. Right. So I'm I'm, I'm still going to kind of lean towards trying to make sure you're okay. Right. Your counselor, you're paying that person. So they have no skin in the game. Right. In fact, <laughs> the check cleared your, right. or your insurance company is paying for this. So it don't yeah. matter. But they are there to give you the, the tools and the roadmap right. to be able to, all right, this is, well, have you thought about this? Maybe this could be why you feel that way. Have you explored that thought? Have you looked into that and things like that? So is that, are those some of the methods that you try to help people do when you're doing your counseling? Absolutely, because I can't solve the problem. You know, my goal is to get you to really get to what the problem is. Because when if you can get a person to really open up to you, if you can create a safe space and that person starts opening up to you. Another thing the church hasn't allowed for us to right. have, a safe, safe space. space. Mm -hmm. Because then, if, you, if you tell the pastor something or a deacon or an elder in confidence, right. then sister so-and-so is now the next week looking at you crazy. Exactly. Why? Because he said, guess what she or he told right. me. Exactly. So we create safe space for you to talk it through. And in the process of that, you know, in the process of getting it out, you develop tools to learn how to cope with what you're feeling. You know, you give voice to your feelings or you give voice to your pain so it is not just sitting in there. You know, I remember when, when my mom died. I thought I was going to lose my mind because I couldn't, I couldn't shake it. You know, it happened so suddenly I was in shock and I, I couldn't get it out of my head. It seemed like all day long. I just kept thinking about oh, you know, my mom died. It, she, she's really gone. I couldn't do anything without thinking it. 
And I would get up from the table and just try to walk to the room, and I would just stop and hold on to the wall because it was, I don't know, the anxiety of it just being, of her being snatched away all of a sudden, it was too much for my mind and my heart to try to bear. And I thought, okay, I've talked people through this before. Like, how, how do I get myself out of this situation? Because my mind was doing things that I'm, I'm not accustomed to my mind doing this. I'm accustomed to being able to shift my thoughts or to control my thoughts, and I couldn't. And it took me remembering that grief is love that's trying to find a new home. But when people don't know that. Sorry, I, that was, okay. I like that. That was beautiful. When they don't know that, they sit in that grief and it's just pain. It's just painful to them. But it's just love trying to find a new home. You've, this person has been the object of that love for so long and now they're gone. This is love looking for somewhere. It's not pain. And so getting myself, you know, back in that frame helped me. So now I can help somebody else. And that's how it's supposed to be. Because I'm like, who am I supposed to call? You know what I mean? Absolutely. People check on you to see if you're okay. No, I'm not okay. I'm, I'm not okay. My mom just died. I'm not okay. A week later, nope, I'm still not okay. Because that pain doesn't go away. But It'll understanding never go that away. the love, it's not the pain, it's the love that never goes away. Right. Transition my entire thought process. Wow. I like that. Would you agree with that, Steph? Yes. I mean, because it's, it's different um, even on the side of death and, like, heartbreak and breakups and yeah. and even various things. They're all similar in different things. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, to lose a parent, I'm sure that's pretty... Well, to experience yeah. loss, if you no, if you live long enough, you will experience loss. Absolutely. Yeah. And the thing that we have to understand is the experience of, of loss, what you miss is the memories of the love that you had. Right. You don't think about the fights, the arguments, mm -hmm. the spankings, the, the, the getting in trouble right. together. Right. No, right. I'm talking about like, for Shonda, she oh, yeah. she don't remember her mom popping her or no. or nothing. It's just the, the the smell of of breakfast, the muffins or whatever yeah. she used to make. Uh, bacon. Oh, they see bacon. the smell she of made it. Breakfast all the time. Bacon, see bacon, 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 bacon. <laughs> exactly. And and you know, Steph, you think you that camaraderie, that brotherhood, absolutely, the friendship, yeah. the laughter. You don't think about the fights y'all got into, no. the arguments. The yeah, we th I'm <laughs> thinking about the times we we would go to. Leave middle school and go get a pizza. Right. And and, and it's know, no exactly. different than even a relationship. Right. When you break up with somebody, you begin to remember the good times. Right. A song comes on. That was a song we danced to. That was a song we listened to. You know, that was the song we got married to, whatever it may be. Sometimes you want to choke them out, though, but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> I, I think I, that's, the level of, that's the level of grief. Right. The different levels of grief. Well, that's that, that grief we acknowledge, though, is love looking for a new home. Right, so, right. But, um, yeah, so, so I just think that it's important that um, we begin to get a message out that seek help. If you, if you feel as though that you're – High highs are high and your low lows are low. Yes. There might be something to that. And, and you know, it's like, 
I just saw him last week and they seemed okay. Mm-hmm. And now this week is like it's a whole different person. Right. It's like, have you ever thought about maybe just seeing? And 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 honestly, the thing is this, because I know people's objections to medication. Right. So I, I can understand that because I've seen it firsthand. How the medicine you could take can make you feel anxious or it can make you feel suicidal or it can make you. I, I That I absolutely understand and would not. Um, be um, fight with anybody who says that medicine makes me feel this way. Right. But at at minimum, you need to be doing the talk the counts the talk counseling part the the talk therapy. Excuse me, is the term I was looking for. Talk therapy can be just as helpful. And the thing is, is you have to have somebody who does not have skin in the game. Right. Because your pastor. Your elders, your brothers, your sisters, your cousins, your grandparents, they have skin in the game. They know who you are. They know what you like, what you don't like. So all they'll do is try to put a Band-Aid on a gun wound. Right. Where a counselor, somebody who's a professional, will address it differently. They say, all right, well, first we're going to have to get the infection out. Mm -hmm. Then after we get the infection out, now we're going to let it air out and heal a little bit. Then once we let it air out and heal, now we're going to put this cloth over it and leave that cloth on it for a couple of days. And if we see that it hasn't come, then we might have to sew it up and stitch it up a little bit. And once it's stitched up, it's going to leave a little scar, mm-hmm. but it will heal. Absolutely. You need help sometimes to recalibrate. And sometimes you can't. Now, if you if you just can't, then we definitely have to go to, you know, a next step. Right. But sometimes all you need is somebody to talk to to help you recalibrate. You know, the understanding of what grief actually was helped me recalibrate and get my mind back um, to where it was. We can do that for for each other. And when you can't, then it's time to seek out some professional help. It doesn't matter. Somebody who's going to tell you the truth no matter what, and they're not going to judge you. Because, because of, of it. it. And, and and they really don't know you right. like that to have a fair assessment or judgment of you. Because all they know about you is what you're willing to share and right. be vulnerable about. Right. And to me, that's the one thing that we have to really begin to emphasize is vulnerability. Yes. Um. You know, so Shonda, so, I, I, so how me and Shonda linked up, she was... I was taking a a class at church and she was teaching the class at church and Shonda was like, um, you know, I'm, I'm one of a couple of us. She put to the side, like, you know, you guys did really good. Love your energy. I am going to be doing something separate. So if you know, to help y'all elevate with your teaching and things for ministry, um, or whatnot. So I'm like, you know, at first I'm like, no, I don't need to (laughs) like, you know, because she was like, you know, it's a cost. I'm like, money cost? Like, yeah, like, like, <laughs> I already know what you talk. I was like, no, nah, I'm cool. And then I remember she called me like, no, look, the money's the issue. Just come and go. I'm like, well, money not an issue. I just really don't want to, like, I don't feel like I need it. And she was like, just come. So I came and that first Thing, I was like, I thought we was coming to learn more about the Bible. I didn't know we was coming to open up vulnerabilities. But what it ended up being was 
that vulnerability opened up things in me that I didn't know needed to be opened up. But it also opened up things in Shonda that she didn't know needed to be opened up. Right. And the reason it was is because she had a room, a, a group of people who were all willing to be vulnerable. Right. And when people are willing to be vulnerable, then that gives you a comfort to be like, wow, if we're all going to be vulnerable, now I can be vulnerable because I'm seeing that guy, you literally sent these people in my life. Right. That they're vulnerable. So I have to be vulnerable to let them know it's okay. Right. That what you're going through. Right. And we, and, and, and why don't we want people to be vulnerable? It's bet, and I mean, I, I, I will have my thoughts and I'll get yours. Stefan is a black man. Too, but why why is it even as a church where Jesus, the most vulnerable we ever saw Jesus, couple times, first time, well, not first time, but the times that just stick out to me like a sore thumb mm -hmm. is when he came back to Mary and Martha's house and Martha went to confront him. Right. And I, that's one thing I tell people. Martha didn't care who he was at that point. Right. right. Savior or not. If you would have been here, yep. my brother would not be dead. Exactly. She like, I want to hear where you was at. Right. What you was doing and who you was doing it with. Who else leg you, you reattached through prayer and right. healed. My brother is dead. Right. Because you weren't here. And he began to weep because he literally at that point felt her grief. Yes. He felt her pain and her because the the way the Bible tells the story, like I see, I don't, I don't think, I almost think almost like gladiator. Remember how Maximus was walking through that field when he was beginning to die. I see this big field and I see Martha see Christ from afar off as they're coming. She don't wait for him to get there. Mm -mm. She went out there and met him. It wasn't like, no, it's almost like you ain't even coming to my house. <laughs> like, no, brother, you ain't get, you're not even allowed to be at my house. So I'm going to catch you. You know, you see somebody about to come to the doorstep, the yep, car full yep, up. Yep. You be like, wait, who's that coming? And you jump outside, be yep. like, no, 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 brother. Can I help you? You on the porch, like meet them at their car. Like you ain't even coming in the crib. What you, what you got to say? I just did it yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> right. Let me, let me go out here. You understand? Yep. And the second time. Was in the Garden of Yosemite mm -hmm. when he knew that he was about to be crucified. Right. And his vulnerability to say, I don't want to do this. I've been talking about this for three years. And now the moment has come. Right. And I don't want to do this. To the point that when he began to pray, that he began to sweat blood. Right. And I know that gets into the all night prayer thing. And it's like, are you praying to get crucified? So I just, you know, because that's a whole different level of. Yeah. You know, but he was vulnerable. So why doesn't the church acknowledge vulnerability? Why doesn't the church say it's okay to be vulnerable? Why do we make people think just pray it away? Mm -hmm. It'll be all be okay. Pray it away. It'll be okay. Pray it away. It'll be okay. I think people saw Jesus's vulnerability as weakness. So we don't even want to you talk know. about it. So I think there are some people who still have that same view of vulnerability, that they see it as weakness, 
which is why we shut that part of our sons off. You know, we tell them when they're young, hey, stop all that crying. You know, you man up. I never said that to my son. You know, I wanted him to be able to cry so that he, he doesn't grow up to be a soulless man with no emotions and he can't relate and he's afraid of vulnerability. Like, you know, no. My eyes starting tears. to sweat? You know, <laughs> right. Shed those this? tears. You know, just don't waste your tears. Make sure that whatever it is you need to cry about is worth that sacrifice. I like that. I think that. people still have that same view that vulnerability is weakness, and it's not. You know, it's not, which is the reason why you can't, you don't see many men who can stand in the presence of God with their hands up and freely let tears fall. My dad. You know? <laughs> yeah. No, no I, got, I, I do it. In, I mean, I, I, I ain't going to lie. I'm doing it in private. But I'm not somebody who's going to. But that's yeah, vulnerability, it though. It is vulnerability. So, so but to limits. But <laughs> <laughs> hey, 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 hey. Hey, 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 hey. Yeah, no, no. I mean, like. Right. So, so vulnerability. Male. Okay. Black. Uh-huh. Go ahead. Um, I was just talking to somebody, right? Um, and she was saying how on their island they don't deal with a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. I think the only thing they deal with because it's an all black island is classism. They right? don't really deal with racism. They don't really deal with racism. Okay. Here in America, we deal with every ism. So within that, usually the black man is the one that takes the grunt. Of that, so she was asking questions like, "Wait, so, like, even you know the different races of people that she didn't think." I'm like, "Yeah, they can be racist. They, they like, you know, they love us. Uh, they just like uh, what's the what's the swamp man? Oh, uh, he took Paul Mooney. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. they want to be us, they don't want to be. Yeah, us, everybody want to be a nigga. Don't yeah, nobody want to be a nigga. Exactly. Right. So, like, we had to deal with a lot of that. So, growing up. We were taught from another black man, and we were taught to be a black man. And within that, it wasn't typically to show vulnerability. It was mm-hmm. to show strength, strength in everything. And the truth of the matter is, we we aren't strength, or we're not strong in everything. Right. You know, uh, true masculinity is showing, showing compassion when compassion needs to be shown. Right. Showing vulnerability when vulnerability needs to be shown and not feeling like you're sacrificing your masculinity um, because you are a man. Right. So me being a man, I'm already that. That is not up for question. But right. but but that's what I was. What's, what is the definition of masculinity and who gets to determine what's masculine? Right. I mean, you get what I'm saying? Like, like is being able to. uh Put a, a a pallet of shingles on your shoulder and carrying them up a ladder and but see, shooting I, I them think down. That's the problem nowadays, though. Anyways, and they say, "What is it being masculine?" And you got so many different groups of people saying anybody can be masculine, right? Oh, right, well, I I'm just saying though. Even that term, I'm not question. I'm I, I know what you're saying, but I'm just saying what what have we so, uh, determined I, I was as masculine? Masculine growing up, you ain't got to cry. I remember one time, I think I said this story before, I was hammering a nail. My dad saw me hammering the nail. Bro, I completely missed the nail with like Ooh. a 28-ounce hammer. And I was like 10. Might have been single digits. Completely missed a 16-D nail. Like a 16-D nail is about 
three and a half inches long, and it's about probably half the size of that big pen. Okay. And I complete. I was swinging, and I completely missed the nail and hit my thumb. Mm. The butt of the nail, the hammer that had ridges on it, so it was a framing hammer, hit my thumb full blow. I looked at my dad. My dad looked at me, looked at my finger, was like, you be all right. <laughs> I wanted to cry so bad. <laughs> After he said, you be all right, I was just like, yeah, I'm good. <laughs> I wanted to cry. <laughs> I wanted to cry. So the whole time I had to act like, you know, not that he wasn't showing compassion. He was just showing what he was taught. Right. I broke my hand one time. Punching drywall. I broke my my, my finger, mm. my pinky finger. I punched three three stacks of drywall. Me and my brother Jeremy going back and forth punching drywall. We do this all the time. Young, testosterone. Right. End of the job. Worked the whole day. Stacked three drywall pieces, half inch. Turns to an inch and a half of drywall. Usually I punch with my right hand, full blow. Straight. I don't want to be cocky. I punch it with my left hand. Instead of throwing a straight punch, I'm thinking I'm punching the face, and I hook. And only thing that hits the board was my pinky. Mm. Full blow. Breaks it. I'm talking about it snaps it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Call my dad, dad. My, my hey, just calm down. Just come over to your grandparents' house. I'll put a popsicle stick on it. <laughs> dad, I want no ice cream. Right. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, I, I, I want no popsicle right now. I right. want to go to the hospital. Right. Go to the hospital. I had to be... Vulnerable at that time because I didn't have a choice. It's broke. Right. I had to go to the hospital. I didn't cry, and at that time I wanted to freak out. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I gotta calm down. You know, I, I wasn't taught to be like that. I gotta be, you know, gotta so be a man. Gotta be a man, right? So, in in times, um, I didn't see any fault in it, but then there were some toxic toxic traits to it, to where um, you're not well rounded. You have to remember that you're still human. Right. And humans cry. Mm-hmm. Humans are sad. Humans are happy. And we go through different things. And the truth is just being honest with, with where you are. I'm not an individual that shows emotion. That's just who I am, though. Right. I don't show uh, uh, publicly show emotion. It's not a masculine thing. It's just who I am. But if I had to, I would show. I've showed emotion before. My brother passed. And we had to go in front of the church, and we had to talk. I had to cry. That was a vulnerable moment for me there. Right. I have been in a relationship. I had to open up. Did it work out? No. Right. But you did were, it hurt? Yes. But you were vulnerable. I was vulnerable. Right. But the only reason why I hurt because I was vulnerable. So you go through those different things, and you have to open up in different things. So I mean, we have to prepare ourselves for. Truth of the matter is. We have to be healed people to heal people. Yeah, if, if hurt people hurt people. Heal people, heal, heal people. people, heal people. And the only way we can heal is being able to do the inner work and figure out the things that we're struggling with. Look at those things that you're saying, you know what, this isn't right. If a lot of people's telling you this exact same thing, this is probably something that you need to look into. Absolutely. And so we need to be able to do those those inner workings. Um, and I'm not talking about just everybody that's around because some people say the same thing. Some people are hating. Right. I'm talking about the people you can trust, the people who are close to you. They're saying, hey, you probably want to think about this. You've been picking up the bottle a lot. 
I don't drink that much. You drinking at 10 a.m., bro, you got a problem. Right. <laughs> it's it's noon somewhere. Yeah, no, you got a problem. Right. And even if it's one drink, if you feel like you need to have one drink and you're looking at the clock just to have that drink, you have a problem. Yeah. So I would say. Or even if it's other things, looking at stuff on the Internet, stuff like that. Oh, yeah. Well, that's, that's, that's being accountable one to another. Absolutely. But I would say for me, the things um, – because um, me and Stefan have different moms and I was raised with my mom and my stepdad. So my perspective and my outlook was I was getting some things from my stepdad and I was getting some things from my real dad, but I was also being put into by my mom. So the thing was, I was always an emotional child anyway. Like it was hard for me not to show. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and be vulnerable. But as I begin to get older, you start to see that you being vulnerable, other people will prey on that and take advantage of that or tease you about that. So then you begin to, um, suck it up and, you know, suck it up buttercup and things like that. And so what I begin to do is I begin to, you know, you shut down somewhat. But then um, I had my son, and once my son came, my perspective changed. Right. Because I was not going to let him not be able to be vulnerable. I was not going to raise a son that was not going to be able to explore all his emotions, to be able to speak freely and, and, and say, I feel this way. Right. I think what it is is that, because we live in a society that has um, treated us badly, treated our women badly, that has forced us to see the um, the 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 our people being um, beaten, killed, and things like that, that you don't want to show vulnerability because that is a weakness. When you're watching George Floyd with a knee on his neck, or if you're watching Tamir Rice being shot by a cop within two seconds of the car pulling up. You just look at it and have to suck it up and say, this is the way we're treated. So you don't want to be vulnerable. But then if you're not vulnerable, you're not able to acknowledge these things that are happening and acknowledge and try to put a stranglehold on these situations. And I just think that society has told us as black men that we just need to suck it up. And I know we tell boys that in generally, but very much so in our community, we've done that. And what you have is people who those same people who didn't um, learn to be vulnerable. Now we're asking them to help people heal because though, because men, even though women are 70, 65 to 70% of members at churches, 90% of the leadership is still men. So <laughs> you start to Absolutely. get this this whole dichotomy of 90% of men in leadership that have not been vulnerable their whole lives with women who have been <laughs> you understand what I'm yeah. saying and so it's like if I don't if I don't never was taught to be vulnerable I can take advantage of your vulnerability mm-hmm. because I like oh you, you you're vulnerable and that's why a lot of women get sucked in 
by these pastors and ministers and things like that. But that's a whole nother subject for a whole nother day. But we'll be wrapping this up soon. But um, so, and I know this is all has to do with counseling, but Shonda, one thing that has been your philosophy um, has been, um, um, hold on this. What, what is the three pillars you always say you got to have? Um, pain, fear, shame, shame, fear, and guilt. Shame, fear, and guilt. And no, and is that your building blocks that you do for your counseling? Absolutely, because those are the three things that most people have to conquer in order to even go. You know, you have to get over the shame, the fear, and the guilt. And if we stop putting that on people, you know, it's it's the same thing. In I'm church. ashamed of you, Stephanie. You know, <laughs> I'm messing with you. Jeez. It's the same battle in church. You know, it's the same battle at work when people are struggling with mental illnesses or any type of illness, sometimes it's not even a mental, it's a physical illness that right. people don't talk about because they are ashamed or they, they are afraid to do it. Uh, some people feel guilty because man, if I go to um, therapy, that's going to make my family look bad or right. Bro, your daddy going to a psychiatrist, right? He crazy. Exactly. You know, we have, to, we have to get over that. So, absolutely, those are definitely three things that are going to come up in every single session. Okay. So, you helping them deal with shame, fear, and guilt. Yes. Okay. Okay. So, when you, when you, what it, what is, the, what it, what would, so, okay, I always give you these kind of scenarios. So, I invite, a church invites Shonda to come speak on a Wednesday. Okay. And they say, Shonda, we know that you're a counselor as well as an elder, as well as an author, as well as a historian, as well. Oh, I'm sorry. (laughs) 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 And we feel as though it's important to begin to introduce our church to mental health and open them doors, not necessarily have to come to you to counseling, but just to get them comfortable with the idea Mm -hmm. of counseling. What would you say and do? That's a broad question. I mean, what? I'm inviting you to speak. Okay. What are you gonna say? No, I'm just <laughs> I'm, just, I'm teasing with you. No, I'm meaning like, so the, like, listen, it's like, you know, the pastor says, look, I, I I've started going to counseling, mm-hmm. and I'm still working on being vulnerable, and I need somebody who I know is in this realm that they'll listen to one spiritually, but trust. Mm-hmm. And I want, because I feel as though it's important for us to get some strongholds off of people that as God does the inward work, okay, we need to allow medical professionals or trained professionals to do the outward work. Okay. So how would you acknowledge that? One, one of the first things I would do is I would ask the question, like who is willing to give me their perspective of mental illness. Because once you find out what a person thinks about mental illness, then you know where to approach from. Do I need to deal with the shame of it, the fear, or, or the guilt? Because most people have a negative perception of mental illness. They have a negative perception of, of therapy and getting help for that illness. So that's the first thing we need to find out. Like, what's your perspective of, of mental illness and, and getting help? How do you feel about therapy? Has anyone in your, in your family ever been diagnosed 
with a mental illness? How did they handle that? So trying to get people to open up about how they feel about it, how they think about it, how they perceive it would be how I start. Okay. And then I would use myself, you know, of some examples where I felt like I need to talk to somebody because of this. That's how you start to get other people to open up. Your own vulnerability is the strongest tool that you have because that's what changes somebody else's life. Wow, I like that. I like that. Steph, would you, with your experience through counseling, would you suggest or recommend counseling for people? I would, yeah. But I I would only recommend counseling for somebody who's prepared. And it was a decision that they made. So if they came to you like, Hey Steph, I know you've been a, you. I kind of heard you talking about going to counseling. So did it help you or did, you know? Yeah, and, and I, I would be say like, yeah, because I mean, like I said, you have two different scenarios, like the one where I was forced to go to counseling because, like, the college said I had right. to go to like a bereavement, and I had to talk to the counselor before we left the school, and uh, I was forced, and it didn't. <laughs> I was sarcastic, <laughs> you right. know, so I wasn't open. So everything that she said was I just took a deaf ear to it. Right. Um, then it, then not, the other scenario is a more mature and prepared me made the decision. To do it to, yourself. Yeah, a visceral decision. And I said, you know what, I'm going to do this. And I was more apt to listen and said, like, well, okay. So it was a, a lot of things kind of intrigued my thought. And I'm like, oh, okay. Well, maybe I need to look into that. Got you. So you need to keep an open mind. <clears throat> Got you. And really, you got to start the open mind before you even decide to go to counseling. You need to be somebody who is very inquisitive and curious about their own life. Well, you have to. It, would you say it's almost like how we always use the example? You can't tell somebody they're alcoholic. They have to realize they're an alcoholic. Yeah. So you can't tell somebody they need to go to counseling. They have yep. to start to realize that. But see, to me, I guess that would be a slippery slope, too, because you can be like, like, because the thing that I try to do is when I talk to somebody and I really see there is an issue, I start to say, have you ever thought about going to counseling? You know, because you can go to somebody and they can really get to help you explore some of these issues that you're talking to me about that seem like it still affects you now, because you can talk to somebody. That's how I slip it in me personally. Right. Yeah, but then you become somebody. Somebody's not prepared. You become somebody that somebody wants to avoid. No, no, but I don't. I well, no, I don't. <laughs> right. I don't go to them and just say, you know what? I was just listening to you talk. You need to go to counseling. Right. But if they come to me and they and and the issue that they come to me and it always goes back to one central other issue, I say, you know, I just have you ever thought about going to counseling just to maybe explore that issue? Maybe you know. Your mom not being around and, you know, right. you growing up without, like, I'm just using an example. You grow, most people don't not have their moms in their lives unless their mom passed away. But right. if your mom just consciously wasn't there, mm-hmm. that can affect you. Absolutely. And, you know, and you, and then you wonder why this person has like this resentment issue towards women. You'd be like, well, you ever just thought about just talking to somebody you know just maybe exploring some of your emotions and things like that and be like i mean i don't know maybe i mean i'm just i'm just throwing it out there you don't have to just something i you know i i go to counseling and it's helped me through some issues and things like that you and always say you just need somebody who's uh has no skin in the game 
just talk to them and then they'll be able to give you new ideas and new perspectives and new ways to look at things. Mm-hmm. You get what I'm saying, Steph? So that's how I slide it in. I, I mean, if people want to avoid me, they can avoid me. I'm an awesome person, so who would want to avoid me? Yeah. But I'm just, exactly. <laughs> no, I'm just like Hanson, they kind of figure it out for themselves. Right. Well, <laughs> once they figure it out, they be like, "He is an awesome guy." Right. <laughs> yeah. So, but we're gonna wrap this up. It was a great conversation. Um, very deep and introspective. So we're gonna wrap this up. So I'm gonna pass the baton to uh, the rabbi and her closing st- statement. Um, sometimes because of the way we raise our children, we set them up to deal with mental illnesses as adults. There are people who expose their mental illnesses in certain ways, like drugs, alcohol, being sexually promiscuous, anger, violence, or manipulation of others. All these can be signs that a person is dealing with some type of uh, mental instability. But I leave you with this. Uh, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives, give I unto you. There are some situations where the peace of God that transcends human comprehension can absolutely recalibrate you and provide you with the peace that you need to seek the help that you need. And when you get that opportunity to reach out for that help, don't let shame, fear, or guilt keep you from doing it because there are some things that you simply just not you cannot pray away. You have to put in some work. Amen, amen, amen. I like that. Steph? <clears throat> to be or not to be? <laughs> that is the question. <laughs> so do you want to be healed? Yes or no? And uh, it starts with a decision for you to look within. Um, I mean, the whole walk of our faith walk is – it's, a, it's an entire introspective life. Every single day it's about analyzing yourself, not others. So many people look at other people and then they're saying, that person needs counseling, this person needs this, this person needs that, whatever. What do you need? Can you look within yourself and identify some things that you feel like you have shortcomings in? Look at the things that you feel like make you weaker. What are the things that you feel like you can't open up to? What are the things that... You feel like when somebody says it irritates you or you don't like being around this person or or you see something on TV and that irritates you and this irritates you and that that bothers you and this bothers you. And, and you're constantly making excuses about well, that just needs to change. No, you need to change. So look within yourself. Talk to somebody. Um, pray about it. Of course, I'm always going to promote prayer. Pray about it um, because God uses people such as counselors and things like that to give you perspective. Um, so um, I was I was once one person that uh, a person that did not um, agree with counseling and things like that. I was uh, completely opposed to it, and life happened. As my dad said, "Keep on living, son," <laughs> <laughs> and that's exactly what I had to do. And I started to see certain things differently, and so I'm hoping that. Within this conversation that we had today, it's able to just help one person. It doesn't have to help 10 people, 100 people. It's one person that they can just kind of look within themselves and see, maybe I do have an issue. Maybe I do need to talk to somebody. It doesn't have to be, um, you know, a counselor that charges $45 an hour, $100 an hour. Start with your pastor. Start with somebody that you feel like that can guide you. Maybe not the pastor. 
We just said hurt people hurt people. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? <laughs> You've been to counseling. Yeah, pastor? I will start with Shonda. Right. So just hit her up with uh, Brock. So yeah, don't call me. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So that yeah, that's it. Hey man, thank you. So if you broke your leg, I wouldn't expect you to come to the altar two days later and ask them to pray that your leg be healed. If you broke your arm, I wouldn't expect you to go to the altar two days later and ask that it be healed. We go to the doctor to help with the outward work. We go to church for the inward work. God can do on the outside as well as on the inside. He's already done the work on the outside because your body has the ability to heal itself. But there are some doc, but you go to the doctor for treatment. If you have asthma, you have to go back and continue to get your aerosol for your asthma. If you have allergies, you continue to go back to get your allergy medicine because allergies is something that are seasonal or some things you can have your whole life. Asthma is something that you can have your whole life. You born with childhood diabetes. You can have that your whole life. If you are born with the mental illness, you can have that your whole life. And the same way you go to the doctor to get that acknowledged, you need to go to professionals to allow that to be healed every day and let it be a work. So understand that God will continue to do the inward work, but we have to let the people that God has given the ability to help with the outward works do their job. And with that being said, I just want to thank you for listening to another episode of Road to Damascus, where it's not about the road, it's about the journey. And until next time, thank you and God bless.